0: Well, thank you, Emily. I have enjoyed the time I've been able to spend with uh, the outreach team and uh, look forward to God's continuing uh, work through our church in this area. And uh, I would just really encourage you uh, to be praying uh, over the the next several weeks about what it is that that God would have you to give, even giving uh, above and beyond your regular giving on that day, uh, that uh, the cause of Christ would be advanced, not only in, in outreach ministries here, uh, in Enid but uh, around the world. I was grateful to, to Mark for starting us off last week introducing us to the city of Ephesus. This morning we are going to begin uh, getting into the letter of Ephesians giving a, a looking at kind of a, an overview uh, of this letter and before we actually open God's word I would ask you to, to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you speak in the stillness. And I ask that your Spirit would speak. In this time, through your word, I pray especially for those who are here this morning that you would strengthen them to be able to set aside distractions, concerns, worries, and let your word do its work in their hearts, that it would rain on them, that in the fields of their lives, your word would be spread like seed, that it would grow up, that it would bear a great harvest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the letter to the Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first two verses this morning and use this as a launching pad into the rest of the letter for us. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. David Brooks is a columnist for the New York Times. He wrote a very intriguing analysis of our culture He said, We live in a society that encourages us to think about how to have a great career, but leaves many of us inarticulate about how to cultivate the inner life. The competition to succeed and win admiration is so fierce that it becomes all consuming. The consumer marketplace encourages us to satisfy our desires and lose sight of the moral stakes involved in everyday decisions. Brooks is highlighting this value in our culture of building great resumes, stacking up accomplishments that will gain promotions, and priding ourselves in achievements, and not paying careful attention to the actual moral choices that we face in that pursuit. That life is full of everyday decisions that have a moral weight to them, and yet there's so few places in our culture that's actually equipping us to be able to grapple with that weight. If you are somebody who is looking for substance in a world that you find increasingly flimsy, then the letter of Ephesians is the perfect letter for you. What I want to do this morning is is I want to unroll the map, so to speak, that we get a chance to to look at the landscape of of where it is that that Paul wants to take us in this letter to the Ephesians, that this is is a letter that is going to be exploring the, the, the grandeur Uh, of god and his character the grandeur of god's glory it's going to expose us to the depths of humanity the the human condition that in the the letter to the ephesians we will mine these rich diamonds of truth that we will scale these grand heights of doctrine and and in all of this that the letter to the ephesians is is really given to us that we might better grasp God's grace. Grace is a huge theme in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul begins here by just saying, grace to you and peace. That that in in letters it was common, of course, to give a a greeting to the people that you were writing the letter to. And and, and Paul wants to make sure that, that what he says in his greeting is saying, this really is what I want the whole letter to be about The letter to the Ephesians breaks down pretty nicely for us. There's six chapters, and the first three chapters break down into orthodoxy, what we call right doctrine, right teaching. And then chapters four through six break down into orthopraxy, or right living. So chapters one through three say this is what God has done, and chapters four through six says says this is how we live because of what God has done now in doing this Paul is being very intentional of modeling for us this is how we should view the world as Christians this is what a Christian worldview looks like that if we could take the way that Paul writes Ephesians and and we broke it down into grammar terms we would see there is three chapters of indicative followed by three chapters of imperative. Now, indicative is simply the way things are. This is a a statement about what is or what isn't. And then an imperative is this is what you should do or this is what you should not do. And it is important that we keep these things in the right order because life with God is always a life of indicative before imperative. We live in an action-oriented culture, and, and so our, we, we, we quickly gravitate towards the imperatives. What, what am I supposed to do or what am I supposed to not do? But life with God is always indicative than imperative. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1, verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have them for food. Indicative, God's saying, here's what I've given you. This is the, the way life is. Then, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Indicative, then imperative. You see this pattern repeated again for us at Mount Sinai. Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of sl- the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So indicative, I brought you out of Egypt. Indicative, I brought you out of slavery. Imperative, have no other gods before me. So this is, this is the pattern of, of life with God. Imperative always follows the indicative. And and this is the pattern of Ephesians. We're going to go through three chapters without a single command. Three chapters of truth about who God is and what he's done without a single command ever written. And then we get to to chapter 4, verse 1, where we find the very first imperative uh, that Paul writes. Uh, So if I can put a summary on this entire letter for us, I want to make this this really simple, something that we can just really hold on to and be kind of a, a... a north star so to speak as we go through the letter one sentence summary would be this the grace of god shapes the people of god to walk with god i said if you can remember that sentence you will remember the whole letter of ephesians the grace of god that's those three chapters of indicative walk with god those three chapters of imperative and so you, you may even just want to write this down right on the front of the letter of Ephesians in your Bible to help you remember this is what this letter is about. Now, in saying this to you, I've made two very big assumptions. And I, I've made assumptions here that Paul is going to make explicit as we go through this. But I want you to, to know these assumptions. First of all, how this grace happens. How does God's grace happen? And it happens because God the Father humiliated his son Jesus and then exalted him, at his right hand, and poured out the Holy Spirit on all who believe. So that's assumption number one about how God's grace happens. And then the second assumption of why it happens. Why? Why is the grace of God shaping the people of God to walk with God? It's because God wants to bring glory to himself. The whole reason why God does everything for all time is to bring glory to himself. So this is the the second assumption that, that I'm making. And now... I want us to look at this this statement. I I want you to see how this is woven throughout the whole letter of Ephesians. So first of all, the grace of God. Where do we see the the grace of God? It's it's all through the letter, but, but particularly as we go through these first three chapters, God's grace is revealed to us over and over again. And so it's important we understand what do we mean when we talk about grace. What is grace? I was struck one time when I heard author Jerry Bridges say, many people, when they think of grace, think that grace is just God cutting me a little slack. That's great. That's what grace is. Grace is just God cutting us some slack. He's he's lowering the bar. He's just making it easier for us to do what he wants. Uh, I'll tell you, if that's your view of grace, you will have a measure of gratitude to God. But you're never going to talk about grace the way that Paul talks about grace here in this letter of Ephesians. That grace is not God lowering his standard. That grace is God giving a revelation of himself. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. To truly experience grace is to truly experience God. And, and as we go through this, this letter of Ephesians, we're going to see in chapter 1 that God's grace is His eternal plan. And it's, it's God's eternal plan of uniting, of showing His grace by uniting us to Himself. We see that in chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In chapter 2, the grace of God is his work of saving us apart from anything that we have done. And the reason why God does this is so that he can continue to give us even more of his grace. We actually see this. This grace sandwich in chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, where it says, In the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Chapter 3. The grace of God is the power of God at work in you to be able to show his wisdom and his love to the world. uh, Ephesians 3, verses 7 and 8. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to make known to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So if you were here this morning and you have never experienced the greatness of God's grace. I'm not, I'm not talking about you, you, you've never prayed a prayer. I'm not talking about the fact you, you, you've never checked a box on a card saying that you, you made a decision for Christ. I, I'm saying if you're here and you've never had the assurance that there's nothing that you have to do to set yourself right with God, you've never had the assurance that your sins are completely forgiven you've never had the assurance that God's Spirit lives in you and that you are alive in Him, I want you to hear this morning the message of God's grace, that God's grace is for you and it's forever. If you're here this morning and, and you're not sure that you've encountered that grace, I, I don't want you to leave this morning talking to somebody talk to one of the elders come forward talk to me after the service and family i want this message i want this this letter to the ephesians to be an experience of god's grace for us each week That god's grace is not something that's just in the past god's grace is in the future and i want us to experience more of that grace together see god's grace it's not just this stuff like a gel in a tube and you just kind of squeeze it out, it, it, and it's just there. God's grace is always effective. God's grace is always effective at accomplishing its purposes. And one of the big reasons that God has poured out his grace on our lives is that he might shape us as a people. So God's grace shapes a people, the people of God. And as, as we look through Ephesians, we see, first of all, the, these people in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. That when we think about who the people of God are, Paul is saying, first of all, these people are saints. Recently, uh, Mother Teresa was granted sainthood by the Roman Catholic Church. And I think it's, it's incredibly unfortunate that that the Roman Catholic Church has actually corrupted the biblical teaching on what sainthood really is. It set up a wrong expectation, a wrong understanding of who the saints are. You see, the saints here in Ephesus are all the believers. That's who Ephesians is written to. It's written to Christians. See, the, the word saint comes from a Latin word, sanctus, which means holy. See, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are holy because you have been set apart by God. You have been set apart by God because he's put his Holy Spirit in you. You've been set apart by God because you are a child of God. So you are a saint. See, the the people of God are the saints. To, To be a believer is to be a saint. And to be a saint is to have so many other amazing truths declared about you. In chapter 1 verse 5, we are called the sons of God, we're his children. In chapter at the end of the chapter in verses 22 and 23, that the church, that's us, we're his body. In chapter 2 in verse 15 said that the Christ might create in himself one new man in place of the two we're we're a new humanity Uh, I look forward to to getting into this more what what does it mean that that the true human race is is believers there's a there's a a new creation that we are and then at the end of chapter 2 verse 21 we are a holy temple in the Lord Throughout the, the letter of Ephesians, we are going to see what it means for us to be the church. That the letter of Ephesians uh, talks about the church more than, than any of Paul's other letters. And so this is a, a letter that's teaching us, this is who God is shaping us to be as his people. And, and then we're, we're going to see that, that who we're being shaped in as a people is, is for a purpose. But, but through all of this, we have to remember that God has created us and declared us to be something in Christ. And because of that, then we work it out. The uh, University of Oklahoma Sooners, in their their locker room, there's a banner that is posted uh, above the door. Just as the players go out from the locker room onto the field, and it says, play like a champion today. And the motivation is clear. As these players run out on the field and, and hit the sign, it's, it's clear that, that the reason for this play like a champion today is you play like a champion today and you will eventually become a champion. But I'll tell you, the letter of the Ephesians is not play like a child of God today so that one day maybe you'll become a child of God. Play like a saint today and maybe one day you'll be a saint. That's not the, the people of God in Ephesians. We, God has declared us to be that way. That we receive his grace as the declaration that we are his children. We have been set apart by him. We are his temple. And this now is the motivation that shapes our walk with God. This is the third part, our walk with God. Paul uses this verb to walk eight different times in the letter. This is the highest concentration of this language in any of Paul's other letters. Paul is wanting to equip us for our, our Christian life. This is how you live life. This is how you walk. It's, it's, it's metaphorical, but it's, it's very vivid. These are the steps you take. And it's, it's not steps that, that, that are taken with God simply watching over us. This is a walk with God, that, that we are walking with him in us. Ephesians 2 verse 10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So so the walk, our life, is what demonstrates God has really shown us his grace. How do you know you've received God's grace? Because it, it just comes pouring out of your life. God pours his grace in that would overflow in our walk. So the first command that we find in the letter of Ephesians is in chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So this is what the, the walk looks like. In chapter 4, the walk with God is a walk that is a rejection of worldliness. I see that in, in chapter 4, verse 17. Now I say this and testify In the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In chapter 5, our walk is meant to imitate God, and we imitate Him by being filled with the Spirit. And then this works itself out into relationships here in the church, it works itself out into relationships in the family, into husband wife relationships, into parent child relationships, it works itself out into uh, our work life as employers as employees and this is what paul says in ephesians 5 1 therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love as christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god and then finally in chapter 6 our walk with god is standing our ground in a spiritual battle fighting against a spiritual enemy ephesians 6 13 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So important as we work through these, these different sections of the letter, it's so important that we keep in our minds that when we get to this section of the letter, chapters four through six, this is not what we do in order to pay God back for what he's done. There's not this sense of, okay, God did all this for us in chapters 1 through 3, now we got to pay God back in chapters 4 through 6. That the whole reason why our walk is laid out for us in chapters 4 through 6 is that we might actually experience even more of God's grace in our lives. Even more of His love, there would be an even greater fullness of God in us. That's what Paul says in the end of chapter 3. He begins in in verse 14 by saying, for this reason I kneel before the Father. And then he says in verse 19, that you may know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You may be here this morning. And you may say, you know, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to heaven. Thanks, I have all the grace that I need. I have all the grace that I need. You know, if you're here this morning and say, you know what, I really don't need any more grace. That is a statement of pride. And all I can warn you with is the warning of Scripture that says God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I want to encourage you as we go through the letter of Ephesians. Let God work humility in you. Let God work humility in you that you might experience even more of his grace. You know, we, we live in a culture that is com- increasingly placing more and more demands on us, demands to achieve, demands to be productive. And it, it's leaving many people frazzled, many people stressed out, people that, that are on Antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, even the people that are holding it together, you get to the end of the day, you get everything done on your list, and you're exhausted. I want you to hear the promise of Jesus: Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Yeah. If you're here this morning, I want to invite you into the letter of Ephesians that you might know the grace of God, that you might know his strength, and find rest. Uh, uh, here's my challenge for you as we begin this letter of Ephesians. Spend time this week reading through the letter and pay careful attention. What does this letter say that God has done for you? Because of your faith in Jesus, what has God done for you? And then where is it particularly that God wants to develop your walk with him? You know, as, as a church, we have, we have three values gospel, people, mission. I can think of no better letter for us to really work these values out than than the letter to the Ephesians. You notice how how this summary of, of Ephesians just maps over our values. The grace of God, that's the gospel, shapes the people of God, that's people, for walk with God. That's mission. That's the mission that God has For every one of you here today, it's the mission God has for us as a church, that we might walk with Him. And as we walk with God out in the world, then the life of God is displayed in our lives. And then what Jesus said will come true. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. And so as we we go through this letter of Ephesians, may God produce His light in us and may He continue to build us as his city, a city that cannot be hid in Enid, a city that cannot be hid from a watching world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to pray this morning for all who are here. I pray that if there's any here this morning, they may be know the facts but have not encountered the grace that this morning they would encounter the grace of God in Jesus that they would grow in this grace in the letter of Ephesians. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning, my friends. I pray that together, that we would grow in the knowledge of your grace, that our walk with you would be strengthened. I pray that we would encourage one another as your people, that you would receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.